Welcome, 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 welcome. Guys, guess what? This is the last episode of season one. We did it. Oh, oh, by the way, hi, my name is Perry and welcome. You are listening to another Cromulent episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old school Simpsons episodes to see what we can learn from them. The pig has made you into his mother. You are not the hot love object you deserve to be. Really? I'm as sure of it as I'm sure my voice is annoying. Oh, sorry, I got a bit carried away. I was so excited. Anyway, so today's episode is episode 13, season one, Some Enchanted Evening. And yes, it is the last episode of the season. And yes, this was the shortest season ever made by The Simpsons, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The name of this episode, Some Enchanted Evening, is actually a reference to a song of the same name in the musical South Pacific, written by Rogers and Hammerstein. In Germany, this episode was renamed The Babysitter is Loose, which is absolutely terrifying. So in the final Hello, Mr. Burns episode of the season, we'll be covering why people order the second most expensive wine, pickled eggs and murderous waterbeds. Hey, I'm pretty proud of that little rhyme there. <laughs> anyway, should we get started? Okay. The episode begins with Homer and Marge going out for a lovely date night and leaving the kids at home with a babysitter named Ms. Botts. You must be the babysitter. Yes, I am Ms. Botts. Unbeknownst to the family, Ms. Botts is, it's very hard to say actually, Ms. Botts. Um, so unbeknownst to the family, the babysitter is actually a bandit on the loose and her whole gambit is she babysits and then she steals from the family. Or should I say Ms. Batukowski? You're the babysitter bandit. You're a smart young man, Bart. I hope you're smart enough to keep your mouth shut. He isn't. So while Marge and Homer are on their romantic date, Ms. Botts is raiding the house and uh, she ties Bart and Lisa up. Maggie manages to break loose of her crib and she frees the other two. Bart and Lisa clock Miss Botts over the head with a baseball bat and manage to run away and call the police. Homer and Marge return home to find Miss Botts tied up in front of the TV. Miss Botts! Miss Botts! <gasps> Good lord, what are those little hellions done now? Homer apologizes profusely and sends her on her way with triple pay. Suddenly, the house is surrounded by police and reporters. The reporters tell him that Ms. Botts is a wanted criminal. Later, when Marge and Homer are lying in bed watching TV, a television newscast identifies Homer as being the local boob. Teehee. Marge assures him that he must be doing something right if he raised three children who can hogtie a complete stranger. The two kiss the endo. This episode was the first episode of the show to be produced, yet it was the last air in the first season due to the horrible animation. During this time... Uh, in regards to animation style, there are really only a few styles to choose from, most famously Disney or Warner Brothers. So Disney or Warner Brother cartoons tended to be set in pliable universes in which the characters and environments seem to be made of rubber. The Simpsons creators wanted to create a universe in which the animations looked realistic, which was super uncommon at the time. This episode has moments where you can kind of see those rubbery animations coming through. Although they did cut out most of it because this is the episode that Matt Groening said that he would cancel the show if the episode's animation wasn't cleaned up. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this was the one. This was the one that almost tipped Matt Groening over the edge. Apparently, the only thing that Brooks said when he watched the first episode was, this is shit. That's it. That's all he said. That was his only feedback. And look, I'll actually, I'll put on Instagram just some instances of what the original animation looked like. And oh my God, it actually was shit. Wow. He was right on point. Anyway, okay, so let's have a look at the first appearances. By the end of season one, there are a total of 74 characters on the show. First appearances in this episode, we have, of course, Ms. Botts, the babysitter, and we see Arnie Pie in the Sky, the helicopter traffic reporter. There's also a bit of a grand reveal that Homer's middle name is James, but this was a one-off thing, and of course everybody knows that Homer's middle name is Jay, as we find out in season 10's Doe in the Wind. Sorry if you haven't seen that, spoiler alert. The name Miss Botts was actually based on a real-life person who was Matt Groening's babysitter growing up. He said she was just as terrifying as the character. Alrighty, Lou, let's do some learning time. Let's do some learning time. When Homer is sulking at the bar, Mo tries to cheer him up by offering him a jar of pickled eggs. Is everything okay, Homer? Usually you have a quick one, some peanuts, a hunk of beef jerky, a couple pickled eggs, and you're out of here. Let's just say I don't feel like going home tonight. Jar, please. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I've been to a few bars in my time, and I have never seen a jar of pickled eggs. Um, I always see them on TV, but maybe I'm not looking hard enough, or by the time I'm at a bar with pickled eggs, I'm just absolutely too blind and can't see my own feet. It's said that pickled eggs are most commonly found at your local hole-in-the-wall bar. As the Farmer's Market Cookbook from 1982 stresses, no self-respecting barroom would be caught without a jar of pickled eggs on the bar. So how did a pickled egg become the norm in bars? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because according to the book Tales of Cocktail, it all started with a clever marketing ploy. Cue flashback music. Back in the 1860s, bars in New Orleans started advertising free lunches to lure patrons into the bar. And typically these meals came with a hard-boiled egg. It's said that this habit might have been copied from the French but there are a few reasons why American bartenders started implementing it. For one, hard-boiled eggs can be kept for several hours without being in the fridge, and bars typically have eggs on hand anyway because, you know, they use them in cocktails. There's also a third reason, and that's to make customers thirstier and to keep them from getting sloppy drunk, which is a direct quote from Everett de Moria. Dwayne Swinsonischke, I don't know how to say his last name, it's very long and there's a lot of letters, Anyway, so Duane wrote in the big old book of beer that if you've never been to a bar with a jar of pickled eggs, then you've never walked on the wild side. There's something special about people who have eaten a pickle egg from a jar with a layer of dust that would rival the tomb of Tutankhamun. All I can say is that before this year is up, I want to have my pickled egg and live to tell the tale. So on Homer and Marge's date, Homer asks for a bottle of the second least expensive wine. Garson? Another bottle of your second least expensive champagne. So ordering the second least expensive wine actually has a name. It's called the second cheapest wine phenomenon. Atlas Obscura did a really good investigation on this, which you can actually read about online. The idea is that many diners, feeling unsure about the difference between wines, or just skeptical that they'd never really notice the difference, they just want to order the cheapest one. But if they're worried about appearing stingy, they choose the second cheapest option instead. So it's said that restaurant owners are all too familiar with this tactic and will often mark up the prices on their cheapest or worst wines to make it the second least expensive. Okay, let's talk about the babysitter bandit. And 
Okay, guys, I think it's time for me to confess. It's been about 15 years and I'm ready to tell the truth. My time has come. I once babysat for some family friends and I stole the last Tim Tam from the fridge and I've never recovered from it. Okay, there we go. Done. It's off my chest. I've been thinking about it for a very long time and I feel better. Anyway, so the character of the babysitter bandit. It's said by a few sources that the babysitter bandit in this episode of The Simpsons is based off the infamous torture murder of Sylvia Marie Likens in 1965 by her caregiver, Gertrude Baniszewski. Oh, it's another very long surname. Many of Baniszewski's children and several of the neighborhood friends were also involved in her death. I did do a bit of research into the Likens case, and I'll say straight up that this case is really brutal, and I actually had to take a moment after researching it and sit down and just kind of, just kind of, reflect and feel better because it was truly horrid. Um, poor Sylvia went through some of the most horrific torture and died a really, truly horrible death. And I do not think that the idea of a babysitter bandit robbing people's homes has anything to do with this poor girl's death. So we'll just take that off the table. In the hotel, Marge and Homer shack up on top of a waterbed. Ooh, sexy. I'll go slip into something a little more comfortable. Oh, your blue thing with the things? You'll see. Well, shake a leg, Mama. Waterbeds were originally used in the 19th century as a medical therapy. The modern version was invented in San Francisco in 1971. So waterbeds are usually either hard-sided or soft-sided, with, as the name suggests, a mattress containing water. Funnily enough, the original designs for waterbed mattresses was just one giant chamber, kind of like one gigantic hot water bottle. Um, and while that seems like a good idea, it's actually not, because any movement or disturbance on the mattress causes the entire thing to become like a wave machine. And then these waves take some time to calm down. It's said that cheaper waterbeds will still have that one single chamber, which is why I think, you know, you see Homer and Marge kind of like bobbling around on their mattress in this seedy hotel. Not many people have waterbeds. Um, they're a bit of a pain to move. You have to drain them completely to disassemble them. And they're also really, really heavy. So a lot of people are not allowed to have them in apartments because it might cause the floor to collapse. What I didn't know about waterbeds is that they're actually normally heated. The reason for this is that the water inside the mattress will always equalize with the room temperature. So this means in winter, the water gets super cold, and because water naturally draws warmth out of your skin, you get even colder and miserable. So just picture this. You're sleeping on a waterbed in the middle of the dead of winter, and um, you're freezing, and you move a little bit too much, and all of a sudden, you're like bobbling around on top of a freezing ice block. Horrible, right? Oh, and if you're thinking to yourself like I did, hmm, well... Wouldn't be nice in winter, but it sure sounds fantastic to be lying on an icy cold mattress in summer. <laughs> you are wrong. Because waterbeds in summer, without proper climate control, will lead to some hectic condensation. They are also super prone to leaking. So if you jump on top too quickly or if you've got something sharp in your pocket, bang. This, coupled with the threat of an unexpected tsunami, makes a waterbed not that appealing. I did do some research um, surrounding deaths and waterbeds um, because they are very unsafe for children to sleep on. They're a serious suffocation threat. Interestingly, one of the most notable deaths that involved a waterbed was in 2011 in Ohio, and it was the death of an exotic animal owner and super pig man, 
Sam Mazzola. If you've been watching Tiger King, which I feel like we all did at the start of the pandemic. By the way, season two wasn't that good, but anyway. So just like most exotic animal owners in the US, Sam Mazzola was an animal rights abuser and a horrible person. He was the owner of the Smoky Bear Sanctuary, and he was known for exploiting exotic animals in fairs and shopping malls. Most notably, his whole thing was that he would use his bears for bear wrestling events. He would allow people to wrestle the bears while they were in cages, and he just did horrible things in the name of entertainment. Ugh. In 2010, a 24-year-old man who was also a bear caretaker named Brett Kandra was brutally attacked by a 500-pound black bear at the facility. The bear inflicted more than 600 wounds on the employee's body, and sadly, Brett Kandra did not survive. The bear who attacked him was also euthanized. In 2011, Mazzola paid one of his 17-year-old male employees to handcuff him and chain him to his waterbed with a mask on and a giant dildo in his mouth attached to a gag. Let me just say that again. This guy was 17, okay? And he was being paid to do this. Hmm. So when the teen returned the next day, he found that Mazzola was dead. According to the coroner, Mazzola had choked to death on the giant dildo. After his death, it was found that he had a collection of five black bears, a coyote, three raccoons, two red foxes, a skunk, several wolves, two tigers, and a lion. So Peter, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, have been trying to track down the animals, and if they ended up in a nicer place, I'm not sure. Um, I do know that three bears were relocated to the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Colorado. The others, no one's been able to track. Interestingly, our old friend Joe Exotic commented on the death of Mazzola, saying, Why is there no investigation to find out what happened? And when asked about it today, Joe Exotic said, I don't think the state made a big enough thing about it. Hmm. There were whispers on forums that this was Carol Baskin. So, you know, no one really knows what happened to most of this guy's animals. So did Carol get them? Did Joe get them? Who got them? All we know is that exotic animals in the U.S. seems to be a bit of a shady game. Come on, Marge. Let me carry you over the threshold. Okay, but watch out. Don't slam my head like last time. Sheesh, 11 years ago and you'd never forgotten it. Don't muss my hair. And with that, my dear friends, guess what? We've come to the end of episode 13 and the end of season one. Wow. Okay, I cannot believe we finally made it to the end of a season of The Simpsons. And yes, it's the shortest, but who would have thought we'd get here? (laughs) It's all thanks to you guys for listening, really. I really do appreciate it. So this final episode, what did we learn? We learned all about waterbeds and just how dodgy private zoos can be. We learned that if you order the second least expensive wine at a restaurant, you're not alone. And that if you haven't eaten a pickled egg, you're not living. So for the next podcast episode, we're going to be taking a little break just so I can get stuck into season two. Season two is where we really begin the golden age of The Simpsons. And whew, you're in for a wild one. This is going to be good. We got new characters. We've got old characters. We have Bart getting an F and kissing the teacher. We meet Blinky the fish. And one of my favorites, Homer eating fugu and being given 24 hours to live. We have lots and lots of love like the love between Skinner and Patty, Marge and Artie Ziff, and the slightly creepy but somewhat wholesome and definitely not romantic love between Lisa and Mr. Bergstrom. Stay tuned for another embiggened episode. Have a wonderful holiday season. And as always, 
Keep watching the skis.